Hey, it's Karen Hunter from the Karen Hunter Show on Sirius XM Urban View. Here's a highlight from today's show. Joining us is the new counsel at Ice Miller and cannabis um, connoisseur and expert. Uh, let me welcome back to the show, Amber Littlejohn. Hey. Good afternoon, Karen. It's a pleasure to be back with you. Pleasure to have you come and talk to us about what is new in the space of cannabis. Well, I heard Smith said it's cannabis. It's just like that's the plural cannabis. Um, what is what should people know right now? What's going on? New legislation before we get into that. I just want to give you all some news. Germany just plans to uh, they just announced that they're planning to legalize cannabis. They received positive feedback from the European Union and their health minister, Karl Lauterbach. Uh, he announced that there's a bill to legalize cannabis and it would be introduced in the coming weeks. Kentucky, Kentucky is also, there's a bill legalizing medical cannabis that was passed out of committee by a wide margin on Tuesday. So y'all can do that, but you can't give us birth, uh, you know, uh, abortions, but come on, everybody can have cannabis. I don't know. It's so confusing. Amber, help us make sense of this. Yeah. So the exciting thing about Germany is that actually could have implications for the whole EU. Um, so while the Brits may be falling behind, yay Brexit, um, the rest of the EU could actually be kind of getting in line and really putting us in the U.S. way behind the mark. Uh, so that's particularly exciting. Uh, the U.N. again met and have some pretty extensive conversations around their position. Uh, and the reason this actually matters to folks in the U.S. is we have an agreement right now uh, that makes it challenging uh, through our kind of our international conventions and treaties that makes it challenging for the United States to bring cannabis below schedule two, uh, just in our trade agreements that we have with the rest of the world. So if the rest of the world actually catches up uh, and moves out ahead of us, this could actually have implications for really kind of not only putting pressure from a trade perspective, but also uh, removing some of the justification that the federal governments had for keeping cannabis on schedule two. Uh, schedule one uh, and not bringing it below schedule two. Why is this, why is this important? Um, you know, I, I guess as people travel and, you know, it also sets the tone for the rest of the world for you in this space. Why is this important that this is happening there? Uh, yeah. I mean, again, this is important for us because again, getting us below schedule two, uh, once you are at schedule one and two, there are automatic uh, mandatory minimums. Uh, there are all sorts of punitive uh, restrictions uh, and laws that exist for companies that are operating in that space and sort of a quasi-legal space. Uh, so the ability to get us below that, uh, that schedule two mark actually could have incredible implications, both from a, a criminal justice and an industry perspective. So while there are you know, again, the technical challenges and how that would work, uh, generally speaking, getting us below there uh, would be fantastic. And um, the research implications, too, right? A, a lot of like yeah, laboratories and, and even government funded ones could do a lot of help with PTSD and stuff. Yes. Um, let me welcome in uh, one of your partners in this uh, cannabis space. She, of course, is the CEO of Hera Holistic Healthcare and medical marijuana cultivator processor. She owns a lot of cannabis, cannabis spaces, uh, doing a lot to get people uh, in the business part of it, as well as you are, uh, Amber. Let me welcome Dr. Shonda Macias. Hi, welcome back. 
Macias. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. Glad, glad to have you back. Last time you were here, we were um, celebrating the opening of a dispensary. I think um, uh, Tahir Johnson had one in, in uh, Jersey, I New think. Jersey. Yes, yeah, in, my, in my backyard. Sure. Yes. Um, how many more since then? How many, how many are there now? Look. So we have two more licenses and um, we're just steadily, you know, kicking down the doors and trying to change hearts and minds of cannabis policy as we go. And, you know, Karen, it's so interesting, like we're talking about descheduling because for me, I don't want to deschedule because I don't want to compete, compete with big pharma. So if you deschedule for me, that puts me in direct competition with a lot of pharmaceutical companies. And um, I just don't have the finances to do it. And as you know, we weren't able to get safe banking. And so my ability to raise money is severely limited um, because I am an African-American woman of Latino descent and they don't loan to us. (laughs) So it's a whole nother set of challenges for operators on this end. Uh, can I ask though, just to follow up on that, is um, isn't there places like Illinois? I know I don't know how it's played out, but Illinois has put in place uh, policies where they're putting an emphasis on small operations and small growers to kind of defend against the big money and the big, you know, the big ticket guys and the big pharmacists. Is that playing out in Illinois well or not? Is it actually not in practice happening? It is. And what happened is that in the last session, there was a hundred dispensary licenses released. And once they were released, um, then you have to operate them in order to sell them or to be able to trade them in any way. And in fact, what happened is that a lot of the operations didn't have the funding to even open up their doors. So this is, this is just all, all BS again. It's all fun and games. One of the, the big challenges is that they are just, as they're rolling out these programs, they aren't accounting for the current funding environment. And so you can give somebody a license, but if they can't sell any equity in their company before it's open, how are they supposed to come up with the millions of dollars it takes to secure property and build out your infrastructure? So again, while it looks good on paper initially, how it pans out in execution is often very different uh, in the practical world. And, and piggybacking on that, we just uh, last week saw the crash of SVB, the Silicon Valley Bank, and several other banks that we're not really even talking about. And, you know, we're still in a hyperinflation, you know, well, the government's trying to push us into inflation, interest rates are up, stock market's up and down. How does that impact your ability to do business in this space? Well, Karen, what's very interesting is that I'm a cash-only business anyway. So this is the time where I actually win. (laughs) I mean, for all those businesses that have millions of dollars in their bank accounts that they may or may not recover, depending how this all pans out, that's not my issue for a change because I have hundreds of thousands of dollars just in different safes all over the nation, hoping that I just don't get robbed. So we have different issues, but banking right now, is not mine. I just have to say this for the record, because the day that Silicon Valley Bank failed, uh, where I'm from, just down the road, 
Uh, there is a one of the largest uh, migrant farmer communities. A levee broke, killing two people and displacing thousands of migrant farm workers and their families. And it was not a blip. Um, so again, when you talk about infrastructure failures, I care more about the farmers. Uh, and as Shonda said, this is a rough environment in the banking space for cannabis anyways. Uh, the scrutiny is heavy and disproportionate on us already. So this is a, amounts to a them problem uh, as it concerns the, the cannabis industry. Can I ask, this seems like such a no-brainer for the banking industry, though. Why? They can get approval for basically anything. They Overnight, they got billions of dollars in, to backstop a bank. This is a multi, multi, multi-billion dollar, if not trillion dollar business. Uh, there's social positive social implications, uh, you know, uh, that that they would be able to uh, profit from. Why aren't they pushing for this more? What's the, what's the holdup? What's the reasoning behind this? I'll jump in there and start. It's all political. This is um, in this administration. There has been a constant um struggle between the Republicans and Democrats and a lot of backdoor deals that have not been able to work in our way. I don't think cannabis is a red or a blue issue. It's a green issue. But unfortunately, it's one of those um, leverages that a lot of people use. And if you don't vote for me in this way, I'm not going to vote for you in that way. And that's what we've seen a lot of bureaucracy just coming into play when it comes to cannabis. 8668. Yeah. I'm sorry, I just want to give out the no, number and reintroduce y'all. 8668018255. We're talking that that was the voice of Dr. Shonda Macias. You can follow her at um Macias D R Shonda C H A N D A Zulu. Z U L U. I love that. And uh Amber Littlejohn is here. She is a counselor, a lawyer in this cannabis space and has been an advocate forever at Ice Miller. She's at Ice Miller right now and you can follow her at A Littlejohn Esque. For Esquire. Good, Amber. I'm sorry. I was just saying the political climate that, that Dr. Shonda referenced uh, seems to be getting worse. Uh, so amidst these culture wars that we have that are really heating up, you are starting to see DeSantis come out and make statements against cannabis. If you saw some of the rhetoric that was taking place in Oklahoma to push back the ballot initiative, it was downright like 40s, 50s era reefer madness. We're talking about kids and secondhand babies and secondhand smoke and all of these things that are just really completely discredited and have no space in reality. But as we are dealing with the culture wars and when it is not targeted in a national level election, that stuff, you know, can help reinforce positions with their base. But I think what Republicans will continue to find is that their their constituents want to legalize and more so in some of the more purple states so i am hoping that uh politicians start to see that this is a losing strategy in those places and especially in national elections cannabis was used to demonize black people uh it was then used to uh demonize people fighting against the vietnam war and you know now now it's a power tool that uh, appears to once again put people, black folk in particular, in a position uh, underneath 
you know, the the very system that says it wants to liberate us. So what what do we what do we do? What what kinds of actions? And I and I love, you know, Dr. Shonda, you're out there. You have dispensaries. You're helping people get dispensaries. You're, you're putting people in a position to win. And then at every turn, there's some political move stopping you from doing the most. How can we help? Karen, you know, what's so interesting is that I'm so sick of, you know, the government making a patient into a prisoner. And so policy change on the state level has to happen. I know that um, about a year ago, I visited the White House and we had a long talk with, um, at the time, Cedric Richmond, who was a senior advisor to the president. Six months later, we got federal pardons for over 6,500 people. So it was also an awareness call, asking all governors that had the power to pardon people in their states with simple marijuana possessions to do so. And now we're on the state level. What we need to do is talk to our state representatives and ask them for sensible legislation to one, decriminalize it so we don't go to prison anymore. And all the states that I've entered, all the policies have been changed to decriminalize. But then we have to have more robust programs so someone like myself can then enter in the market and participate as well. That's what I call reparations and giving us a fair chance of having some type of economic benefit, especially since our communities were disproportionately impacted by cannabis crimes. Amber from, I'm sorry, go ahead, Sina. Uh, is it fair to say then that you would um, want to see this like a, a bottom up approach from this? All the states legalize or decriminalize and then the kind of the page turns at the federal level. Exactly. And so that's what we're doing now. Right now, we have, what, 38 states that are legalized in some aspect. When we hit 50, there's no reason why we don't have federal legislation that changes in our favor. But until we can get that over that 50, then that's going to be such a hard fight. But starting on the grassroots level, bringing it all the way up and to introduce sensible policy. I think that's the bigger issue. Some people are big on criminal justice reform, but also people want entrepreneur options. And it's just neither one of them are really accessible to us right now. But you said if if that were to happen, then you'd be competing with the pharmaceutical companies that are looking to get into this space really hard, right? So yeah. how, do, how do we and you know, do that and also protect the very people who are harmed by the laws for the last 30 years? How do we do 40 years? How do we do both? You know, Karen, what's happening right now, we're doing it anyway. We're just selling weed on the streets. I mean, let me just be real about it. If you enter into New York, everyone is selling cannabis because it's been decriminalized. And so now it's at a point where how are you going to regulate it? And I think that that's the bigger issue we're having state to state is that we know that um, people use cannabis just as much as they did before any medical program started. 
they're using it now. So how can we better regulate it? But um, that is the, the true answer. People want to ignore the fact that we have a thriving illicit market. What I would love to see is the illicit market have access to proper testing, um, regulatory um, provisions, and be part of the legal market. We, we see people like Seth Rogen. I just watched see, uh, CBS Sunday Morning. They did a whole thing on Woody Harrelson. He has a thing. It seems like they're winning. Is it because they're celebrities with money? Is that, you know, is that the, the, the hallmark? I, Are they winning? I, might, I don't know. I might point to a different factor that is influencing how they are received when it comes to cannabis. Because when you are Black and cannabis consuming or in the cannabis industry, there is a presumption of criminality. Mm-hmm. Uh, that presumption does not exist when you are not. Um, so I would say that is definitely the baseline. But with that said, this is where having all voices present at the table and trying to get folks uh, from all backgrounds and all aspects of, of industry and communities on board, because the reality is people like myself uh, and others uh, may not be able to access certain environments. So that is why in my journey uh, to try and legalize both on the state and federal level, I am willing uh, to hold hands and walk down the street and get it done with a, a broad range of folks. Um, you know, in terms of competing with the, the pharmaceutical industry, I think the recent actions coming out of FDA really tightening uh, the loopholes and the exemptions around dietary supplements uh, and CBD are a really strong indicator that the pharmaceutical industry is making its place uh, in the cannabis industry known and clear. And as an industry, we need to be listening and paying attention or we will be left with little or nothing uh, when legalization happens. You you guys have been fighting uh, for a long time. And, you know, once that worm turns and it gets into a place where it's legal everywhere, I do see what you're saying, Dr. Shonda, in terms of having to compete with multi-billion dollar companies. And you've been here all along, just chugging, chugging along, uh, you know, to, to find your space. And there's something that you've been advocating for, for the health benefits, you know, for all of the things that cannabis and the cannabinoids and all of the things you've explained over the years in terms of how it connects with our body, how we actually, you know, it, it can heal us in so many ways, not just with anxiety and all of these things. I, I just... I struggle because I feel like once again, they keep moving the football, you know, it's like Lucy and and Charlie Brown. And Mm -hmm. it at some point is infuriating that you can do all of the things that they say to do. And then they move the goalpost once again. And I see it happening. Odds are um, of this, of Biden, president Biden or some, you know, congressional legislation actually getting through in the next two years, I thought it would happen. I thought Biden would do that like the first year in office because I was like, that that's a no brainer federally legalized marijuana. Then, you know, you have that to run on a lot of young people is out there using it. It's a, no one's bothered by it except for a few old people in certain States, but he didn't do it. And it, I don't feel like he's going to now. And I don't understand where we are and how we should be advocating. I don't know. The administration is moving forward in their administrative review of the scheduling status of cannabis. Uh, So that process 
is underway. Um, how that shakes out uh, is going to be transformative potentially. Uh, whether or not there are uh, accommodations made to allow the existing legal cannabis industry on the state level to exist without it being crushed and subsumed by uh, the pharmaceutical industry, whether or not there is uh, additional criminal justice reform elements uh, really worked into uh, that process as well. Um, but again, uh, that process is underway and I just encourage people uh, to stay engaged, uh, to watch their agencies, uh, to any opportunity they have to participate in the regulatory process and the stakeholder process to get involved. Because again, that will shape the trajectory of, of these state programs as well as uh, where we had and where the industry lands uh, as it concerns the legal two, cannabis. Two different things, decriminalizing, which I think is easy. Mm -hmm. That's easy. Versus legalizing, which should also happen, but not where. So what you're saying, Amber Little John, is that the de decriminalization you see is definitely probably going to happen. Definitely probably <laughs> going to happen. So I think we get to the point, uh, you know, we're already in sort of a de facto uh, decriminalization with the exception of individuals who were moving weight from California to New York uh, were recently prosecuted. Um, but we are, we are moving, we have been in sort of a non-enforcement phase. And I do see the president potentially moving towards something that is, is getting us to decriminalization. Uh, but this is a president that has a lot of trauma around substances, um, a lot of personal trauma, um, and he's not necessarily a personal fan. So I think we need to be mindful of our expectations around that. Um, and really, again, hope that whatever moves the administration makes uh, that they do so with, again, preserving the right to access to safe and effective medicines for people around the country and do so with a mind towards getting people uh, out of prison. Mm. Dr. Shonda, are you optimistic or because, uh, you know, um, ask Karen, every time. I'm a realist. I'm just a realist. And so right now, the lobbyists for the pharmaceutical industry are paying to suppress legalization and criminal justice reform. And then what's going to happen is that when it is legalized, they're going to be paid to keep themselves in the position. But what's interesting about our communities that we usually find a way. And, you know, we're very creative when our backs are against the wall. And I think what we're doing now to get in position is creating different brands of products. So even if they have the market, they still have to use our brands and our notoriety to get it sold. And that's what they're doing with Khalifa, Little Kim, um, you know, Wu-Tang, uh, Method Man, everyone has a brand now and that's what they're pushing. So they're going to need us in the mm -hmm. end in order to continue down this path because cannabis, whether you label it as medical or not, is still medicine. And those people that have these strains and forms that help patients are going to continue to help patients and they'll have the rights to those. So I think that our community will find a way, but it, it's never been an even playing field. It never will, but we're making our strides the best way we can with power we have. Well, we will always be a platform here. Mike Tyson also, of course, has his brand. Yes. Um, it, it's, it's getting interesting. Uh, but, I, you know, I, I hate that it takes celebrity 
to kind of it, it's like supersedes the people like you, Tucky Blunt, other folk that have been doing this. You know, I just Wanda. You know, it's like people have been doing this. You know, the Queen. You know, yeah. Uh, yeah. Where are you calling them, Karen? Like, you know, Wanda's carrying Met the Man strain. I carried a couple of different strains and products for celebrities as well. So we're the ones behind it. We get our cut too. So okay. you know, okay. this is a community love, you know, situation. But the bigger um, players are also getting their cut. So when it does get a little bit bigger. We'll have different rooms to play in, but we just need to be creative about getting our space and not a seat at the table, but half of the table full of seats. Yes. And more tables to be built. Uh, ladies. Yes. Um, come on back anytime. You know, you have an open seat here. Uh, Dr. Shonda Masi- Masias, uh, of course, Amber, little John now over there with our buddy, Jared Lodeholt at Ice Miller uh, doing that work on that side legally. Thank you, ladies, for being here today. Appreciate you. Hey, this is Karen Hunter. You can listen to The Karen Hunter Show live every Monday through Friday at 3 p.m. East on Sirius XM Urban View Channel 126 or anytime on the Sirius XM app.